Hey everyone, this is Pastor Sam. This is Danny. And together, we're exploring the book of Mark. Join us each week as we dive into each chapter outside of our Sunday morning messages as we explore what this book is trying to teach us. And today, we're looking at a man with a withered hand, a great crowd that followed Jesus, the twelve apostles, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, Jesus' mother and brothers, and so much more. We are in it in chapter three. Man, it's exciting that you know we're on this third week already of our series on Mark, talking about the good news. I hope people are really taking advantage of all the resources, and, and I hope that uh, uh, the last couple of sermons, or three sermons, has been good uh, into helping them understand uh, the gospel, the good news, who is Jesus. And I think we talked about that a little bit in the first week, Jesus being the good news, and then he did an amazing job once again last week talking about forgiveness, right, and, and the yeah. importance of that. Yeah, and this week your sermon on, um, you know, being the disciple and what it means and knowing the will of God, which we'll, which we'll get into because you talked about how we'll kind of cover that today. But uh, this, this, this chapter has, uh, I would consider, maybe three or four main sections. Mm-hmm. It breaks down into the, the lesson, well, well the, the first part, which is verses 1 through 6, covering a man with a withered hand. I love this story, man. It's, it's, it's a great story. I think it goes back to the Sabbath idea, right? Uh, which we talked about last week in the podcast, how the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leader at the time, yeah. they overread into it. Yeah. And uh, so it kind of picks up on that a little bit. Uh, the guy's, uh, you know, has a little hand i don't know how you do yeah, it yeah well i got i got a question for you so like as we go through this right here we see that let's break it down so jesus entered the synagogue and, and there was a man with a withered hand mm-hmm. and they watched jesus does that is that did they set him up i mean I, I, they were so that's definitely an attitude that i think is a problem here for the for, for all, all these people right with them you know uh, the pharisees the sadducees the scribes you know all these people that oppose jesus uh, and here it, it's specifically the pharisees right they they uh their attitude towards jesus was, was an interesting one and so that jesus is a you know that they're watching jesus mm-hmm I, I kind of like this idea of being setting him up. Well, I mean, so what I was saying was that, like, it, it's like, th- to me, it what seemed like an opportunity for them to kind of catch Jesus uh, healing again on the Sabbath or doing something on the Sabbath again, which seems to be something that they keep bringing up, keep bringing up over and over again, right? And here we see that what could be, the, see, that they set up is actually a, a providential thing, like, the one thing I, I I thought about this as I read that verse, it says that that they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him. Mm-hmm. So the interesting thing in that is that is that Jesus noticed this man. Sure. He was sensitive to this man's condition, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think about the the Pharisees in this case, like how why is it that they were just looking to see if Jesus would heal this man? Versus being sensitive to the man's condition themselves. I mean, these guys had one thing only in mind themselves. And I think that's what the Pharisees was all about themselves. They're very self-centered individuals who thought they were uh, the best thing has ever happened to earth, on earth. And and, and their cause uh, overwrote anything and anything that uh, was out there. 
And, and this attitude of of accusing Jesus is the it is the great uh, the greatest enemy of divine love is a hard and an indifferent heart. And I think that's what you got into. For me, well, uh, for me that that attitude. It means the greatest enemy of the of the divine of the divine yeah. love is a hardness of heart and a, and a heart that is indifferent for people's cause, right? And we talk a little bit briefly towards the end of well, that podcast about this legalistic thinking, right? Mm-hmm. To me, this is a, this is an, uh, this is what happens when you have a legalistic spirit. Essentially, you're always on the lookout for what is wrong or what or less focused on what is actually needed or what 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 needs to be or what's what's the right thing to do. Uh, so that's what kind of like I do have an interesting question about this though it says that you know Jesus ordered the man with the withered hand to stretch forth his hand well he didn't have one <laughs> I was like how, how have you ever thought about that how, how could he put his hand out he didn't <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so I think I want to touch base on the Sabbath thing here for yeah. me because here's the thing the, the Sabbath was made by God for for two things for us to create this balance between work and rest Sabbath was a good thing for men because God wants us to balance hey can you balance work and rest because that balance is important for your life not only now but in the future so can you balance that? So it, it was a good thing. God, mm-hmm. the Sabbath was a good thing for man. And what Jesus was proposing to do here for this guy was a good, good, a good thing. thing. So yeah. it's not that Jesus is not breaking the Sabbath necessarily, but he, he's doing what is good in the Sabbath, which is what was the intention of the Sabbath. I was talking to one of our members here at the church who is a, uh, police officer, he's a state patrol, and I, te- I sent him a text. Is there any is there any time uh, that an individual can break a speed limit? Is there any occasion? Oh, when is it okay for you to? It, when is it okay? So what did he say? He said. <laughs> We're all he waiting. Said, <laughs> he said absolutely not. So I gave him a example like, hey, my wife is pregnant. We are home. The water broke. I have a she's yeah. giving a birth. Can I pick her in the car and just drive as fast as I can? And he was like, no, dude, you cannot do that. Uh, and I was like, but it is to save a life. Uh, can, can I save a life by breaking the law? He's like, no. Uh, but he says this. There is a word of law and there is the intent of the law. The word of law say no, but the intent of the law, the law is to save life. The intent of speed limit is to save life. So he said, I can't think of any police officer that would uh, give you a ticket, give you a ticket uh, or wouldn't escort you as fast as you can to the hospital knowing that you're saving a life. Oh, okay. Does yeah, that make sense? Yeah. And I think the Sabbath is in the same way. Jesus is like, I, I'm not breaking no Sabbath. I'm saving a life, which is what the Sabbath is about anyways. And 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 uh, the Pharisees lost that. They missed the point there. Yeah, I, I like this. Uh, just to close this one up, it's always good to bless others, right? Yes. And we, need, we ourselves need to be sensitive to those who need compassion. And also we need to be ready for because we know people are going to criticize. But doing the right thing should never be restricted to a specific time, a specific location, or even date. You know, I think we need to do, we need to be right in what we say, what we do, and how we feel. So I think, I think that I think you're right. It's about 
saving lives and, and doing good. And, and we should not be restricted when it comes to that. All right. A great crowd followed Jesus. You know, I mentioned in my sermon, crowd seems to be a big, big thing here with, with Mark. Here we see the crowd again. Huge attraction. What, what, what are your thoughts? Here? I mean, I mean, people are really fan of Jesus' signs. I mean, uh, they love signs, you know. And, yeah. and, and people, I read messages like this one. I think, Pastor, about this one, I think about the word selfishness. Uh, like the crowd being selfish. The crowd selfish? being selfish. Okay. They just uh, yeah. They they there is no boundaries being respected. There is no uh, thought uh, about the person of Jesus or the disciple. I mean, the, the, at least they got crushed. That's why it says there the crowd was so pressing in, in on him. Pressing yeah. in on him. It's like, well, where is the respect? Now I understand, and you have heard me say this often. Desperate times calls for desperate measures. I understand that. So there must be some kind of uh, compassion and understanding towards the people here. Yeah. Because they're in desperate places. Uh, and when you're in desperate places, you do some desperate things. Uh, but, yeah, I, I don't... I don't I, I'm not a big fan of, of, of passages like these because they kind of... Yeah. Is using Jesus kind of like yeah. Me well, it's all about what can you do for me, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. they they're not there really for the right intention. It's about it's a personal thing. But I, but what I want to kind of pick up on a notice on here. It says that he withdrew the disciple to the sea, and a great crowd followed him. Right. Mm -hmm. What I find interesting here is, is it's quite a demographic of people that's following. Listen to what it says: from Galilee, from Judea, from Jerusalem, Idumea. And beyond the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. So that tells me it's not only Jews that are following him. There's some Gentiles in there too. Dude, there is people from everywhere. And and I we kind of, you know, not to bring it up again, but to bring it up again, I kind of showed that stupid, those... Uh, oh, the, say, map? The, the map? The, <laughs> the map that didn't work on Sunday morning the first week. I mean, you're talking about... A hundred, a hundred and twenty miles north and south, yeah. and you know probably about another forty miles radius, like forty miles east and west, because people are coming from everywhere. So that tells me something. He's doing something that no one else, no other teacher, no other rabbi was able to do. So why is it that still? The Pharisees and the Sadducees still plot they want to kill him. I taught you that on my sermon. Yeah. Where faith and belief does has nothing to do with science, has nothing to do with evidence, has nothing to do with what you see, what you have experienced, has everything to do with decisions. And if you go back to, to verse 5, mm -hmm. it says, And he looked around at them, Jesus, with anger and grief. Jesus was not happy about this no. here. And their heart, uh, at their hardness of heart, these guys had already made a decision in their hearts. We will not yeah. follow Jesus. It doesn't matter what he shows. And I think that, that that's that's what's going on here in a sense that uh, that's what happens, I think, in the hearts of the Pharisees and Sadducees and the scribes and the Romans too. Many of them, they just haven't made a decision. What, what are you thinking? I mean, I, I was kind of I thinking how funny this, this passage is when you read it. It's like, you know, it says like, I talk about all these people coming from everywhere, right? And then he, 
he looked at his disciple. He says, "Hey, get the boat ready. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get out of here. <laughs> get the boat ready. Let's get out of here." I mean, I mean I'm, I'm not I'm not reading into that. That's what it says in the passage. Yeah, he says told he says told his disciples have a boat ready <laughs> because of the crowd. Yes, they were crushing him, and he had to, you know. So I, I think um, I want to make a parallel to, to from this year because I feel like there's a lot of crowd in the church today there's a lot of crowd and and a lot of crowd it reminds me of that ancient this ancient um crowd here that we see mm-hmm. is that they're they we're just spiritually unaware of what uh because we don't have that kingdom mindset we don't have that kingdom mindset and because of that even though we're crowded we're reflecting the ancient crowd here where we're we're coming or we're missing the message completely. Every Sunday morning, a message is preached. You nothing is transforming your life. I guess I'm trying to say, how do you go from crowd to disciple? I know we don't want to dive into much we, about we, being a we, disciple. But. We, 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 Danny, I think for me this is one of the biggest uh, puzzles of the church in the 21st century. Um, using Jesus is not being a disciple. Using Jesus does not take you to heaven. And you might even get uh, you might even get healed from your physical disease, but that might not get you to heaven. Uh, might not cure you from your spiritual disease. And and when I see this here, uh, we only focus on the physical aspect. These people was just focusing on the physical aspect. Oh, we are sick. We need to get healed. That's fine and dandy. But, but yeah. that's not what Jesus is after. He wants disciples. So, a disciple don't use Jesus. A disciple follow Jesus. Yeah. Well, what I like, I like what you said because I've, I'm picking up on like, too many of us are looking for that temporal relief. Sure. Yes. Right? yes. God is, he even in this thing here, he is like focused on the cross. Getting to the cross because... At, he goes, listen, on my way to the cross, I can, I'm going to heal a lot of people, but that's only going to be a temporary thing. That's mm-hmm. not an eternal thing. I got to go do this other thing here. And, you know, once I do this, it's an eternal, that, that healing, whatever it is that you need from him, he now has, it has a way to provide that for you. Not we, the physical, not temporal, eternal. Yeah, we, we uh, it, it is, let me pop uh, pop people's bubble here maybe is that everyone that was healed from their disease on the 20 on the first century is not is not alive on the 21st century yeah if you had a, a withered hand that got healed but you didn't accept Jesus you did become a follower of Jesus um, you didn't you know do what I talked to you on Sunday uh, then then you're not going to that's a common eternal life like physical healing does not mean eternal healing that's a that's a common that's a common mistake that we all think about we think that these people who were physically touched or healed that we would like to think that yeah they whoa this is what you just did for me here ain't no one ever did this for me ain't no one ever saw me like this mm-hmm. you would think that they com- completely committed and changed their lives right sure but we can't we don't know that. We don't so, know. That we yeah. don't know. But I think in the 21st century today, yeah, people are so like, they people want miracles. Like, what is the point of miracle? Uh, you know, people saw and they didn't become uh, uh, followers. And uh, if Jesus make a miracle here today, 
uh, does that mean that your heart will be really be worn out? Like did Jesus really worn win your well, you worn not, your heart out? Yeah. Or you just to that transition? I just want to use Jesus for my own. You're benefit. no different than the crowd. No, you're not. You're no different than the crowd. So I don't know. So so well, I have one more thing here, but I know I don't want to make this oh, forever. But I noticed that the demons continue to proclaim who he is, which tells me. That the kingdom of God is at hand. Like, because the demons keep saying, oh, it's Jesus, you know. Yeah, and, and Jesus is strictly <clears throat> tell them, stop talking about it. Yeah. And and really talks about the supremacy of Jesus over the spiritual, over the evil uh, aspect of life in general. Even the spiritual evil. Uh, they're trying to proclaim Jesus and just like, don't do it. It's not for you to do it. Uh, it's not for you to do it right now. Uh, that time's not coming. And so every time that Jesus says these kind of statements, you know, don't, don't be talking about me. Um, it is because uh, most agree that it is because of his time management. It's yeah. like saying yeah. it's, not, it's not the right time. Uh, here is not only so much as time management as who, as who is doing the who declaring. Who is doing the declaring, yeah. All right, so we're moving on. So he got his, his getaway boat, right? Didn't have cars back then, so they got a getaway boat. Yeah, mm-hmm. And they, they go up in the next section of the passage here, verses 13 to 21, where he basically establishes the 12. He picks the 12. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I know you had some interesting things about, you know, a couple of the the, um, the disciple the apostles that he selected. But before we jump to that, though, I want to notice here the the... The sixth or seventh word on here. And he went up to the mountain. Mm-hmm. We see the mountain a lot and mm-hmm. things. Mountains are important. Yes. I could think of, you know, when Jesus <coughs> was tempted, the, 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 the climax of his temptation was on what? A mountain. Yeah. Right? Yeah. His sermon in, in Matthew was a sermon on the mount. Yeah. His transfiguration was on a mount. Mm-hmm. Way to give this great commission. On, on the mountain. A mountain. And where do we see him here? Upon the 12. On the mountain. On the mountain. Anything important about mountains? I don't know. Tell me about <laughs> I mean, I talked about on Sunday, right? A little yeah. bit about that, right? I brought even a picture of a mountain for you yeah. there. And I said, which for me is a very important statement, that God speaks to his people on the mountain. Because you in listen. The wilderness. You, you, you find yourself in a position where... You're in awe, you you were distractions, and you can listen, you can I, focus. I had an experience on the mountain once, Danny, that was, I mean, it's just weird. Most people would be thinking, like, what are you talking about, Pastor Sam? I was uh, back in Goiania, the place I was born. My grandma was a pastor of a church, and and uh, every Wednesday, all the churches in town, yes, uh, I'm exaggerating maybe, but a ton of churches from town would gather together in a specific mountain and they would go up there to pray for the salvation of the town. If you probably could Google and find it out in, in, in the 80s, Goiânia was one of the safest towns in Brazil because the church was getting together to okay. pray for the town. There was a place in town where the market, where people would steal cars, tear the cars apart and then would sell the pieces on that market. So if you broke your car, you needed to buy some refurbished thing or you would go there and get a piece for cheaper. During that season that the church was spraying, that market disappeared uh, oh, because wow. people were giving their life to Jesus. Churches were being packed. And so 
we went to a mountain to pray and so I went with grandma and, and saw all many other churches and there was like a worship band up there they took drums they took nice. you know it was guitars and all this stuff and it was crazy cool and while they were praying on the mountain miracles would happen dude that was fire that came from heaven <laughs> I'm telling you dude people were getting fire on their hands and the, and the fire would not consume would not burn not consume it was incredible Whoa, I think you just opened up a door there. And I can't make that story up, buddy. Uh, I was there, we saw it, and many people in uh, saw it and testified to it. And there was a great movement in Goiânia, Goiás, in Brazil, in the 80s. So, um, mountains are important. Uh, God mm -hmm. speaks in mountains. Uh, maybe we should uh, find mountains to go up and pray. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, so he, he appoints the 12. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things I find interesting here is Judas, right? We, we all know Judas in the story. Mm -hmm. But clearly we see here that Judas didn't, he didn't weasel his way in. Jesus appointed him just as much as he appointed the other 11. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a puzzle one, buddy. I, I, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, I, think, I, I think that's an interesting one. Um, why... Why Judas? Why him? Um, and why Jesus? I, I, you know, what I'm saying like, why Judas? Why him? And why, why Jesus? I, I don't know. What do you make with that? Man, I just, I just couldn't get past the fact that you know, when I think about it, I think of it more of like a lesson that that needs to be learned. I mean, I, I see the angle you're going in, right? Like, like why? Why, from a plan of salvation standpoint, is you thinking Judas and Jesus in this scenario? But I like to see it as like even Jesus. We see here that I think of when we think of our friends, we think about people, right? We need to recognize that no matter how good we are, how nice we are, how how investing we are in people, some people are still gonna disappoint you. Some people are still going to hurt you. Some people are still gonna misunderstand what what you were there for. And I think with Judas, I think, I mean, there's a lot of talk about it, but I think he misunderstood, in a sense, exactly what was happening. And, and he thought that he was actually helping the cause, in a sense, by maybe even doing what he did. I, I don't know. This is all well, I think, talk. And I think that's the, was my, you should, hopefully people understood that to be my main point about on the sermon was the fact that People all around misunderstood Jesus, specifically Judas here. I think you're right. He, um, many has been said about what uh, he did and how he did it. But here, what I want to tell you is that Jesus did not, and I want to make this clear here, Jesus did not appoint Judas, Judas to betray him. Jesus appointed 12 disciples to preach the gospel, follow him. to stand against evil. To learn, uh, the discipleship does not consist in what the disciples can do for Jesus, but in what Christ can make of the disciple. So, so, uh, so Jesus was, as I said on Sunday, extending his kingdom, and Judas was part of that. Somewhere in the line, he misunderstood the office, misunderstood the calling, misunderstood the appointing. And then did what he did. I think 
think that's on him. That's not on Jesus. A lot of people I've seen, been, I have a lot of people say that Jesus chose him to betray him. I'm like, I don't think Jesus chose him to betray him. Jesus told, uh, chose him to, sp uh, to spread the gospel, to continue to learn, to continue to speak uh, about the gospel, and to withstand against the devil. But yeah. he felt to be a disciple. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think you hit it right on the on the point there. I think, uh, but I, I, I there is a, I think a funny thing that I yeah, yeah. talk about uh, yeah. before. Uh, there is three sets of brothers and the discipleships uh, on the the calling of the disciple. There is you know uh, three sets of brothers, but right. the two of them is easy to find because it is written like James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, the brother of James. And then Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas. And then James, the son of Alphaeus and then Thaddeus and Simeon, the Zilliot. So we can see the Andrew, you know, and Peter and, and Simon. And then you have, you know, those are easy for you to, to pick out of the crowd. They were brothers. But then there is another set here that not many people knows about. Uh, Jesus called Levi the, max, the tax collector on chapter 2. And yeah. uh, Le Levi had a dad, and his name was Alphaeus. Yeah. On chapter on chapter two, verse fourteen, and then Alphaeus was also the, the dad of James. So James and Levi uh, was also uh, Matthew. So, so you, we're doing some deduction here. We're yeah. deducing that okay. Here's the evidence that points to Matthew had a brother. Mm -hmm. Levi had a brother mm -hmm. whose name was. J James, James. Mm -hmm. or oh, that, oh, that Matthew Levi's dad was Alpheus, mm -hmm. so we can make that connection yeah. there, right? Of course, that there was probably many Alpheus maybe in the day. <laughs> yeah. So, but uh, what many people th th talks is that Matthew and James they were also brothers. More than likely, yeah. More than likely, but yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's good insights, man. Yeah. That's really good. All right, so let's get to the this, the 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 last section then. Um, Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit and just kind of wrapping up this this chapter. I think, I think that was the main part of the sermon, right? Yeah. Uh, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I think Jesus, uh, Mary, and and the brothers of Jesus kind of, I don't know, they they go south in him a little bit there. I, I wonder what, and I asked on, on Sunday, I wonder what Mary was thinking. What happened with Luke chapter 2? You know, what happened with the angels showing up? What happened with Jesus teaching in the temple? What happened... With all with Cana and the miracle of the wine, what what happened with all of that? So now she come around and say, "Well, this kid is going crazy here. Let, let's let's bring him home." Well, so I, I know we've we've talked a little bit about this. So I think I mean I definitely I definitely agree that there is some misunderstanding there with the family, right? Mm -hmm. But to to me, I think this is this is less about them not knowing what he's supposed to do knowing what knowing what you know Luke 2 like you talked about what mm -hmm. that's about all, knowing that versus you have to I think of the culture of the day okay and in the culture of the day what was what was what was of value more maybe not necessarily riches but the family's name sure oh okay I gotcha mm -hmm. so the family's name right mm -hmm. like you have like shame and dishonor and honor and all of that stuff is kind of tied to the family name. So to me, in a momentary lack of judgment, I see I see here that his brothers and Mary, they see it as like, whoa, you are what this is the family. This is 
this is reflecting bad on us here because so I mean <coughs> what is I, I, I hear, so yeah. m- most people will say most scholars will say mm-hmm. because uh, Joseph's name is not mentioned here the dad just the mother and the brothers yeah. uh, and sisters means that you know Jesus was Joseph's probably passed away passed by this away, time yeah. uh, so Mary you know is looking for the first kid this is the f- this is the first kid this is the uh, you know the elder of the family Jesus is yeah. it was the first one being born there was no Mary didn't have a kid before Jesus right right correct so <laughs> Jesus was like and that coach at the time they would be looking for Jesus to provide for the family yeah. to guide the family to uh, to be the patriarchal uh, of the family but Jesus was not interested in the cultural things of the time You're right Jesus well, yeah, he, he's, care less he's about, about, the he's about to thing. redefine family for them. He didn't. That's and, we talked and, about that on the <clears> sermon. Yeah. So, and he did redefine. And and I don't know. I just Jesus is yeah. not interested to trying to make sure that um, yeah, Mary's no, I, taken care of that way. Yeah, I mean, so that I, I was. I'm trying to kind of give them a give them a, a an out, I guess, <laughs> in the, their sense of like, oh. Man, the family name. So I, I, oh, I kind oh, of tie I, that, oh, yeah. I agree with you wholeheartedly, yeah, yeah. but Jesus, and I think this is one of the tricky things about Jesus is that he's not, he's not compromising the mission of God for cultural things, for cultural norms. Right. He goes there and he redefines family. He's looking at his mom. He's like, "Mom, I love you, but I, you know what I'm here for. So we're 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 not. I'm I'm redefining family." The Pharisees and the Sadducees, he was consistently going against the theological teaching, not because Jesus didn't like the Pharisees or the Sadducees, but because they were compromised, and Jesus would not compromise. Right. So, um, he knew what he was here to do, and he was uh, focused on it. And he, I think we lose a lot of that focus ourselves. Yeah, I mean, he, he was on mission, and one of the things I really I really like about the way that he redefines family, it's, it's important to know because... Physical connection is certainly one thing, but when it comes to God's family, it's nothing to do with physical con- a physical birth. It's a spiritual birth, mm. right? Mm. You could born you're you're physically born into the family that you're in, like my mom, my dad, my sister, mm-hmm. my wife, Nate. That's my family. Mm-hmm. But in God's family, it's a spiritual thing. It's a mm-hmm. spiritual birth, and ultimately, it's the only family that really matters when you think about it, right? God's family, and. Can you imagine? It's the one that was going to last forever. It's the one that will last forever. The rest is not. The rest is not. I mean, there is a, 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 you know, I just, you know, my turmoil in the last year now with mom and my dad and my brother and my sister and, and, and blood. Blood speaks louder. And we talk about mafia, right? Yeah. Uh, You know, like blood speaks up. There is something important about physical family mm-hmm. you i tell my boys all the time you stand for one another you are family you are blood um how much more would that be important for us spiritually uh because knowing that we are more than just we are more than just physical we are spiritual and the spirit is what's going to last forever and and i think in the church we are fighting and bickering and we don't I stand up for family. we don't stand we up stand for up for our, our actual family you know like like if someone did something to your boys or, or someone, yeah, you go there and you wanna punch people, yeah, yeah. you wanna you know take you to to justice, we wanna justice. Yeah. But then when it comes to spiritually fighting for one another, we're like, 
Uh, you fight on your own, buddy. That's exactly how it <laughs> he, is. Jesus is fighting with you. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll pray for you. I'll, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. Yeah, as it's like, I'm washing my hands. You yeah. are on your own. And I think, and I think we need to learn uh, that we are a family of God on the spiritual terms that we will live with each other forever. Uh, but when it comes to our physical family, we will not do that. So, all right, cool. So let's transition and talk about the will of God now, because I know you wanted to kind of touch on that. Yeah, uh, yeah. A will of God, like, when does the will of God matter? When? Yeah. All the time. All the time. There's right? no time it doesn't matter. <laughs> so, <laughs> trick question. <laughs> well, no. I mean, that's uh, so. Now so, with you. Yeah. So like when? It, it, all the times. I, I think verse thirty-five, and and I didn't have time to do that on Sunday. That's why this podcast is so important for us. Is that he says. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. He's like, he's really redefining, making a spiritual thing. Say like, this yeah. is about God. And then uh, you read about the will of God in different passages. So let me bring you three different passages here that yep. I think is important. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21. Jesus is on the mountain again, right? He says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So he's saying, you can say whatever you want. You can <laughs> claim that I am your Lord. There are demons claiming that he's the son of God. There's, right, there's yeah. demons declaring that he is God, right? But he says, who, but the one who does the will of my father, the will of God, those are the ones who's going to go to heaven. So yeah. let me read it again. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father, who is in heaven. So, it is important. It is. You need to do God's will, right? Yeah. But to do God's will, you need to know what God's will is. So, uh, the question then becomes, right, like, what is God's will? How do I find How God's you know will, God's right? Will. So, what is God's will? How to know God's will? How to fulfill God's will? And so, the first chapter, the first verse was Matthew chapter 7, verses 21. Right. That tells us the importance of it. And then, I think, I said one apart here. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 says this. For this is the will of God. He, Paul is saying, this is the will of God. Your sanctification. Mm -hmm. You talked about that a little bit on Sunday. Yeah. What, what, two Sundays ago. Why the sanctification? Why the sanctification? It's that ongoing. It's it's the ongoing purification process that we have, becoming more and more like Christ. In simple, in the simplest terms, right? So you justify through His death. You sanctify through living through the power of Him, and He He the Holy Spirit helps you through that process of sanctification. So you know the <clears throat> word sanctification is the word agion. Is the word holy to be set apart mm -hmm. to be set apart for God, right? Yep. That that's what I mean. So he's like the will of God is that you would live your life in a way that is set apart for God. That's the will of God. The word will uh, in Mark in 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 Matthew is the word telema, so it indicates that it is the result of one will, the will, the demand, the expression, the inclination. An expression or inclination of pleasure towards that which is liked, that which pleases, that creates joy, 
when denoted the will of God, it signifies His gracious disposition towards something or someone used to uh, used to uh, to to designate what God Himself does uh, of His own good pleasure. So, so basically, is you need to know what pleases God, and then your life needs to match that. Is living. A lifestyle that pleases God mm -hmm. so so we have like you know Jesus saying those who does the will of the Father the desire they, they have inclination to to and then you match with Thessalonians you have inclination to live their lives separated from the world towards God those are the ones who is going to go to heaven those are the ones who's going to inherit what God has for them those are the ones who are part of the family of God. And then Luke chapter 11, verses 28 says this, But he said, Jesus said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Being set apart. Yeah. Doing the will of God is this idea of being set apart, living for God. And, and, and many things... So... so uh, those all give you the perspective of what God's will is. And many people think that we must wrestle God for His will. To know what God has, we got to wrestle down. Uh, so therefore, it's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to figure out. Uh, you know, people are asking questions all the time. How, how do I know God's will uh, for, for my own personal for me personally, uh, mm -hmm. is it God's will that I will marry this person? <laughs> or, or is it God's will that I'm buying this house? Is it God's will that I'm getting this job? Isn't that how it goes? It yeah. matters most on the decisions that we make every day. Yeah. Right? Is this the job? Is God's will for me? Uh, is is this life path that what, what God has for me? And um, so it becomes very important because we want to live in God's will. Don't yeah, we? yeah, and I, I mean, I think when I try to think of the the will of God in its simplest, basic form, I say it's to know Christ, mm -hmm. right, and that your neighbors know Christ. Sure, right, <laughs> yeah, and and we have to like so, but to be part of God's will, though, you've got to be saved. <laughs> well, I'm saying like if you want to know God's will, if you want to know God's will for your life. You've got to come <coughs> to a place where you know Christ. So, well, okay, so, so, so let me tell you, the, the, you're right. There's three ways in which the Bible brings the, the will of God for us. Right? There's three ways in, yeah. in how that, that happens. is salvation, obedience, and God's involvement. Yeah. And there's those three ways. It's like His plan, His, uh, what He likes, and how He guides. Right? So yeah. you are right. You can't know God uh, will... And, and so another thing is coming to mind. There's a general will and a specific will of God for you. I, I really think that the Bible yeah. think it gives us that out. One is more on the sovereignty, sovereignty Sorry, of yeah, God. Yeah. And then one is more on the perspective of God. So on the sovereignty of God, there's a general thing. So like, for example, there's the will of God that he would keep Israel safe. Yeah. So if through disobedience, and obedience, God was through Israel throughout all the Old Testament. Yeah. God's will, that's His sovereign will. Yeah. What He wishes, it will get done. He'll make sure of that. But then there's more of this perspective rule, it's a specific will for your life, where God's like, well, I have some good plans for you, plans to prosper. This is where the promises of God yeah. comes to you. But you're like, ah, 
I don't want that. You make decisions and God's like, well, that's not my specific will for your life. But you are free to choose what you will. So You know why though? Why? Because revelation brings responsibility. Oh. When when you when you're when God reveals his will to you, what does that put you on? And accountability, because not like you don't know. The Bible says in Ephesians mm-hmm. chapter 5, verse 17, it says that to not know the will of God is what? Foolish. Mm. Mm. So I think we have to be we have to be cognizant here of you know, we, we know God's will. Mm-hmm. God's will revealed to us brings greater responsibility mm-hmm. and higher accountability. Mm-hmm. And we have people who will spend their lives in hell because of a conscious effort to neglect and to be in disobedience of the will of God in their lives. That's serious stuff right there. It is. Uh, so to do His will, uh, to obey His will in our lives, we must seek His will first and foremost. And you know what else doing God's will is? Mm. It's evidence that you're part of His family. Doing the will of God, is the, it gives the evidence that we are part of His family. Like, how do you want to know you're part of God's family? Show me evidence of it in your life. I, that I and, and then a lot of people, uh, it's, evidence is kind of hard, uh, just, well, but, to, to, but, but you're right. But I'm not trying to give people excuse here. Evidence is kind of hard, but it has to show up. It has to show up. I mean, I, I like to think of like, um, well, there's there's the, the five S's when I think of God's will for us. Saved, mm-hmm. spirit-filled, mm-hmm. sanctification, you talk about that, mm-hmm. submissive. Mm-hmm. A lot of us don't want to be submissive. And guess what? We're going to suffer for God's will sometimes, too. Oh, yeah. Paul, in, in the book of Acts, chapter 20, he's telling, he's meeting with the elders, and he's telling them, listen, I'm going to Jerusalem. And I'm going to Jerusalem because the, the Holy Spirit is constraining me. It, it is telling me, it's urging me to go there. And I do not know what's going to happen to me there. But the Holy Spirit of God is telling me that there is imprisonment for me there. There is afflictions waiting for me there. So Paul knows that knows what's the, coming. He knows, what's in the, he knows that the will of God for him in the near future is, is Jerusalem. And in there, there'll be imprisonment and suffering. If you know God's will for you is that you're going to suffer a little bit, would you go to Jerusalem? No. No. <laughs> no. But here's where here's what is important. You have to surrender your personal desires to take on God's desire. That's the first thing for me about God's will. Right? You have to seek God's will. It is important because uh, for you to be sure that you're fully open to whatever God has for you, even if it is difficult. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, we have to approve of God's decisions for us. That's what it is. Not make sure that God is getting our decisions to Him. If you have actually already decided what you're going to do, and are only coming to God to seek God's approval for what you already have in your mind and in your heart to be done, then you're not seeking God's no. will. You seek an affirmation from God to your own will. And that's a, that, 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 that's a big no-no. So for me, is you need to surrender your desires to God's desire if you're going to seek God's will. The, the second thing is for me, you have to walk with God. Yeah. You have to walk with God can't know someone if you don't walk with them. That's exactly it. And you need to know God. So that's the third thing. You need to know God. 
So you got to surrender your will for God's will. You need to know, walk with God and you need to know God, right? And for you to know God, what do you need to do? You got to spend time with God's word, right? Yeah, dig in. And there's a lot of Christians who wants to know God's will, but does not know, uh, doesn't meditate in God's word. They want the Cliff Notes version. <laughs> When you make a decision, it should be lined up with what God says. It can't be in conflict with what God says, right? So it has to line up with God's Word. Uh, so uh, the Scripture is, was given to us so that we can understand the heart, the mind of God, uh, so that you know God's will. You can't know God's will if you don't meditate in God's Word. And spend some time in prayer. Go to the mountain. Go, Go to, to pray. Yeah. The most obvious answer on how can I know what God's will is for my life? Do you know what it is? Ask. To turn to God in prayer and ask Him. Ask. You, you can't. You can't. And and <coughs> so here's the thing: Does God speak? Uh, I'm tired of answer that question. What is the answer for that question? God speaks to those who would listen. Oh, thank you, sir. <laughs> yes, He's speaking. The question is: Are you listening? Uh, and and you need to listen to God. But here's the other thing I want to say to know God's will. Sometimes God uses other people to guide you through His will. You need to yeah. seek advices of other people. Godly individuals, there are toxic people who want to destroy your life. Yeah. And there are godly individuals that you must to find refuge into by asking some questions and having some honest conversation. Yeah, because you, you have to be able to discern mm -hmm. God's will. We're going to talk about discernment here, but that's what you're kind of laying into mm -hmm. here, right? When you spend time with God... When you when you when you focus on what God has for you and you're on the same wavelength, you can be more discerning of what God is saying, how He's speaking to you, and you'll know like God will never ask you to do something that goes outside of His word. Do he right. Will, he will never ask you to do things that He is not that He has like you know to sin. So yeah, when you when you looking at things in your life and you're like, oh man, God's asked me to do that, like. <laughs> No, we can't put that, well, God spoke to me. A lot of people say, well, God told me to go do this, you know. God will never ask you to do something that goes against His Word. And I really like Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your body as living and holy sacrifice. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? That means you have to present yourself to God. You have to learn with Him. You have to sacrifice yourself and know what He has for you. So that way you're acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And then he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's just what you talk about. How do you renew your mind? But, but, but I think <clears throat> you're talking about something that I, I, I like is important here. God's Spirit can direct your mind and your reasoning towards God. You can't, listen, you can think logically <laughs> with God. Does that, does that make sense? A lot yeah. of people don't think we can make logical decisions Biblically, it must be some kind of abstract, weird decisions to be biblical. No, God, God's Spirit can direct your mind and your reason to be focused on with the hearing what God is saying, to be focused, to choose that which God has for you. It doesn't have to be an unlogical thing. So many times we, I don't know, people equate God's will with some unlogical things. It's like, no, 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 no. <clears throat> it doesn't has to, it doesn't have to be that way. It can be logical. Yeah, <clears throat> and, uh, and and many times is logical, which I think is what runs there. You get into it. So, uh, yeah. spirit filled can be reason. 
Yeah. <laughs> Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, and I think one last thing is sometimes you need to look at your circumstances too to discern God's will there. It, it, outside of those circumstances, uh, it is hard to uh, look in it. So there is uh, God opening closed doors and you need to, to, to be sure that. I have preached about that long ago. It's not about opening and closing of doors. It's how you are in the hallways between the two doors that dictates a lot. So uh, make sure that... Uh, uh, as you walk in from yeah. God's will, as you walk in God's will from closed and open doors, that uh, you are praying, you're meditating God's word, you ask some questions to some people that are wise and titans in the faith, and uh, that you're not walking there alone. There is power in community in knowing and observing and obeying God's will. And I think Mark teaches us that in here um, that through disciples, advance the kingdom. Yeah. They don't try to stop the kingdom from being advanced. All right, that's chapter three that we went through. Uh, any closing thoughts on this chapter? Mm, not really. I think, uh, not really. I don't know. What do you got? I think we have spoke a lot. Yeah, I think so too. I think uh, I'm just excited for, you know, as we kind of, as the, as the story builds and the momentum builds, we see here, I'm excited to see what, what he gets into the next chapter because as you can see, He's just still like confrontational, not confrontational, but very shocking, mm -hmm. changing how they want to do. He redefined family for this culture of family here. Mm -hmm. He crushes the idea that they have. So what are they thinking now? Cliffhanger. That's right. <laughs> and next week as we explore chapter four, we have a guest with us. Don't we? we do. We have a special guest joining us next week. We're excited for what uh, that our guest has to share. It, it might be a little bit longer, but I, I guarantee you, if you hang in there, it, it will be very, very uh, encouraging to you. Cool. Well, thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Until next time. Be blessed. Be blessed. <laughs>